right. So yeah. So hey, guys, we're live. Welcome to Weekly Impact Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Daniel Yelverton, and I'm here with Michael Miller and maybe potentially Jerry Cook. We don't know yet. This is all, all kind of up in the air. And uh, we are going to be in 1 Kings chapter 4 today. Uh, we're so glad that you're joining us this morning. Um, why don't we just, uh, if it's cool, Michael, why don't you open us up with some prayer and yeah. get us kind of uh, aligned ourselves to, to looking towards the Absolutely. Of faith, Jesus, sure. and then we'll get rolling. All right. Uh, Dearly Father, we just thank you for uh, for the day. We th- I thank you for Daniel, and uh, I thank you for our listeners. That And I ask that you would just let your Holy Spirit be uh, in the midst of all of this. Mm-hmm. Guide the conversation. Guide our ears to, to where we hear. So guide our mouths as, as we speak, our ears as we hear. And um, help us to speak what you want spoken and help us to hear what you need heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also, Lord, as, as we study First Kings, help us to see the bigger picture. Sometimes we get caught up in some of the small things and we need to hear the small things to see the big picture, but help us to not see the Messiah. Help us, help us, I'm saying this wrong, but help us to see the Messiah. Help us to, to not just put that aside. Help us to see the big picture of Jesus. And, uh, and, and that's my prayer for this morning, or this, uh, this afternoon. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If, if I could, if I could not have my tang all tangled up, we'd be in good shape. Hey, it's only, it's only us right now, man. You don't have to worry about it. No one to impress, right? Yeah. Uh, so, well, cool. Well, uh, so we have just finished. Um, we're looking ahead, obviously. So we uh, we're in this is Tuesday's reading. So for First Kings uh, chapter four, and I think this is really uh, it's we're transitioning now to a new kingdom, right? So. Uh, the, the book of first and second Samuel was about the establishment of Saul as a king and then David right. as a king. And now we're ending David's reign and we're heading towards his son Solomon's reign, yeah. which is kind of the golden age, right? This is this turning into like the golden age of, of Israel uh, and their prominence politically, uh, their prominence as far as spiritually being able to build the temple for the Lord. Uh, and it, it's not always done perfectly, but I think we're, we're able to see a lot of interesting stuff. Right. And uh, so let's, um, Michael, let, let's do a little, let's do a little back and forth context here and figure out, okay, where, what's happened up until this point in First Kings? Well, and, and what you mentioned is that we're moving towards being that the golden time, you know, as you say, in, um, in Solomon's career, so to speak. Um, but it doesn't start off quite as smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, so David is passing, you know, the kingdom to his son Solomon. And, um, it doesn't work out. There's a challenger first. I forget which one of David's sons. Adonijah, right? Adonijah. Nice. Something like that. Yeah. So he he basically tries to take the, the, the throne and then, uh, you know, David finds out about it. And that doesn't work out so well because <laughs> me and Daniel were just talking about this before. How uh, David's like, hey, you know, do things God's way. By the way, go kill all these dudes, you know. And uh, and so and so Solomon starts off his career as his kingdom with just a bunch of murders. And basically, anybody that that doesn't align up with Solomon or align up with David, they just they just end up getting killed really quickly. Um, but then, you know what? That's that's for you, Daniel. The good part. Uh, what you know the thing? What what changes? So like first, Solomon is like starts off with the murderous kind of ways of his father. But but then something happens that really changes the whole trajectory. I, I would say of Solomon's life. Mm. 
Yeah, so I think that what's really, you're right. I mean, uh, to kind of reiterate what David had done is that in on his deathbed, he says these things and then he kind of gives them a mafia hit list of yeah. like guys to kind of get back at for things that they had done. So one guy cursed him when he was running from uh, Absalom. Uh, Joab, which was the commander of his army, had actually murdered two of David's commanders of the, their army. And so like, I think there's also a little bit of justice kind of that's kind of taking place here that but it's still really weird how yeah. it all kind of it, how Solomon establishes his kingdom. Um, but ultimately, what we see in chapter three is um, God that this this infamous we've heard this before where God visits Solomon in a dream and basically it says, you know, what, what do you what do you want? Like, I'll, I'll grant one request. And um, Solomon in his humility and i think in like just uh he recognizes that he wants to rule really well and he wants to rule with understanding and he desires wisdom above all else and god grants that but in addition for god for god kind of seeing his humility and what he was asking for god also gives him some of the other things that he could have asked for which is like a wet wealth and like long life and prosperity mm -hmm. all of these things that it could have been easy to ask for and let's just like pause for just a second and think about all that like imagine being in that situation right and imagine being in a situation where the lord visits you in a dream and says i will give you one thing whatever you ask <laughs> for i will give it to you and I think it's really interesting, right? It'd be really interesting to see what, what we would do in that situation, you know. Especially if we didn't have this scripture, because like, like we kind of know better now. We're like, I've seen this summer before. God, give me wisdom. You know, but, but That's if we didn't the right have this, answer, if we didn't have the scripture, I mean, what would we say? You know, I know it's kind of like that whole like you chose wisely kind of thing. Like if I was ever like looking for the Holy Grail and I was my, you know, my name was not Indiana Jones and I saw saw an old money. It was, Monty, it was yeah. a pack of money Python, Monty Python right? Yeah. But you have like the really nice chalice, you know, the one with all the jewels and then the one that's like the carpenter chalice. And then like, you know, you eat, you got to drink the right one. Right. And so this is the, we know kind of what the right choice is based on what Solomon has had. But I think that's really interesting uh, because I think there is a, a character trait of the Lord that he wants to provide. Like he wants to uh, like, he wants to give us the desires of our heart. But I think what uh, the, what's great is that Solomon comes with a heart of humility into that situation. I think a lot of times we come more with a heart of entitlement. Uh, if we had that opportunity, yeah. like we say, all right, God, this is my list of things that you need to do. Like here is like, you got to do this. You got to do this. You need to come through in this situation. And, and I think that there is something that we've seen all throughout the thread of first and second Samuel. And we see it even in Kings is, is humility. Is, is humility is really, it puts our mind, our heart, and our perspective in a proper place, uh, especially when we're coming in petition to the Lord or and the Lord has this like amazing opportunity where he wants to, to give him that. So anyways, I'd love to hear from you guys if you get a chance to do in the comments uh, of what are some things that if God uh, asked you, you know, what would be, yeah. you know, what would be some interesting things that you would, would, would want God to do? And I think it's, you know, we can give the right answers or the, or the answers that we know we should say, but maybe it might be fun to just say like, you know, this would be an interesting thing. Maybe do like one, like, okay, this is a genuine answer and <laughs> one more silly answer. Like this would be more of the silly thing that, that I would ask for. Like, you know, I'd love to surf on like a, you know, 200 foot wave or something like that, you know? Ronnie Piercy just commented something that I think um, 
is is very speaking of wisdom very wise um he says he says humility is key and, and i think that's important when you look at at solomon i know we're before we even get finished with context we're getting after this chapter but we we act we act like just since since um solomon asked for wisdom that everything goes right well, he does has like have like what you said a golden age, like where he was seeking wisdom with humility, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. just like his father and just like Saul before him, as soon as he kind of got caught up in, in himself, he fell apart. Mm-hmm. For 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 Saul, for David, and for Solomon, and for other kings that we'll find out later, once they start to lose that humility and they stop casting their eyes upon God. And stop following what God wants instead of what they want for their legacy, what they want for their children, what they want as king. Mm-hmm. Things fall apart. So I absolutely agree. Humility is humility and wisdom have to go together. Because if not, you stop seeking wisdom and you mm-hmm. think, I got this. Well, and I think it's a you have to re-up it. Like you have to re-up humility mm-hmm. on a constant basis. Like you can't just start from humility and then just let that coast for the rest of your life. Like you need to continually re-up humility. And and I think that like having that, like I love what Paul says in Philippians 2 about having the mind of Christ, having the humble mind of Christ, even though he was God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, and instead humbled himself as a servant, being made in human form. And because of that, because Jesus continually re-upped his humility, because he always said, hey, I'm not doing all, I do what the Father tells me to do. You know, he continually was serving the least of these. He uh, was humble even to the point of death on a cross. He was humble in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, yep. he was constantly revisiting humility. And, and I think that when we continue to uh, walk in humility in our lives, that is when I feel like the Lord is just, his glory shines through in those moments. His glory shines through and we get to see it. We get a glimpse of that. And I think what's really cool too is, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday is as uh, in my um, coffee in a chapter is that as we're going through Kings, we're transitioning to uh, like, I think the, there's two big themes that are kind of thread throughout scriptures and the first is kind of the covenant relationship with God. We see that with Abraham and we see that kind of re uh, like ultimately seen in the uh, what Jesus did for us, his sacrifice, sacrifice so that we could become one with God. It literally says that that he reconciled humanity. But then also, as we look in Kings, we see this is kind of a mirror and a reflection to to God establishing his rule and reign here on earth and since he's king of the universe. And so we get to look and see glimpses of how uh, these kings do it right, but also how they don't do it right and how we can learn from that, you know? And because I think that we have uh, been blessed with, because when we're sons and daughters of of Jesus, uh, or we're, sorry, sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Jesus, we uh, also are able to step in some authority and power because God is king and he's king of the universe. And so I think that this will be an interesting kind of thread that we get to see on a smaller scale in Mm -hmm. Israel, but we get to learn much on a larger scale when it comes to us stepping into like the power and authority that we have because of Jesus. And uh, because now we are going to rule and reign eventually, and we start to bring his kingdom like uh, here and now in the way that we live. And I think that 
a lot of that actually works uh, in tandem when we stay humble and when we, and also later on, as we see pursuing wisdom. So, so yeah. Um, oh man, we've got some great comments. Brenda, I want to hear God's voice. I love that. And she says uh, she wants to hear it clearly. I think like what she's saying is important because I don't think she's saying that she doesn't hear God. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that the idea is, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus like spoke to me, like, mm. like I, like I'm speaking to you right now, every day, all the time, that would be, yeah, that would mm-hmm. be fantastic. And Ronnie also, Ronnie Piercy also said that uh, I believe we have to go through hard times to keep us on our knees. I think that there is a common grace with that, that, um, that suffering, even though it's so painful, I think it it reminds us of a dependency uh, that we need on our heavenly Father, on you know Father God, on Creator and King of the universe. So, man, this is a uh, this is good stuff, guys. Thank you so much for sharing, and we haven't even gotten into the, the chapter yet. <laughs> well, speaking of that, so so here's the dwell app for for podcasters. King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his high officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, was the priest. Elahoreph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were secretaries. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was in command of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. Zabad, the son of Nathan, was priest and king's friend. Ahishar was in charge of the palace. And Adoniram, the son of Abda, was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had twelve officers over all Israel, who provided food for the king and his household. Each man had to make provision for one month in the year. These were their names. Ben-Hur in the hill country of Ephraim. Ben-Dikr in Mekaz. Shealbam. Beth Shemesh, and Elenbeth Hanan. Ben Hesed in Arupath, to him belonged Soko in all the land of Hefer. Ben Abinadab in all Napheth Dor. He had Tapheth, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Baana, the son of Ahilud, and Taanach, Megiddo, and all Beth Sheen, that is beside Zarethan, below Jezreel, and from Beth Sheen to Abel Mahola as far as the other side of Jokmeam. Ben-Geber in Ramoth, Gilead, he had the villages of Jair, the son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead, and he had the region of Argob, which is in Bashan, sixty great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, the son of Iddo, in Maanam. Ahimeaz in Nephtali, he had taken Basimath, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Baana, the son of Hushai, in Asher and Beeloth, Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua, in Issachar, Shimei, the son of Elah, in Benjamin, Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, the country of Sion, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. And there was one governor who was over the land. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, 
and fat and foul. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Geza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety, from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon. And for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month, they let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke three thousand proverbs, and his songs were one thousand five. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom. And that is our chapter for the day. He-Man. Yes, He-Man was, a, he was apparently wise, but not as wise as Solomon. Um, so that is First uh, Kings uh, chapter 4. So we've already done, done a little bit of talking about kind of uh, perspective and context. Um, what is something that sticks out to you, Michael, when, uh, when you're reading this? Well, first off, most of us, and I think I'm, I'm one of these, that when I read this last year, um, I, it's one of those chapters that you can miss a lot because you tend to be like, okay, all these names mm-hmm. and, and all this stuff that he had and all, you know, and, and later, you know, all these things that, that Solomon knows, big deal. So you almost you almost skip over it because it seems boring, right? Mm-hmm. But but what stands out to me is not the details. It's just the fact that moving back to chapter three, that Solomon has this dream and he asks for wisdom. We see in, in a very quick, just a couple chapters here, and then just right after that, he starts making some decisions. And maybe I'm being judgmental, but that I don't think are quite so wise. We don't see a whole lot in chapters one through three of God other than the dream, right? Solomon and David are conspiring and doing things that are pretty much on their own. There's very little mention of God himself. They're making some decisions that maybe aren't so humble, maybe aren't so wise. And, and maybe that's just my opinion, but that's just the way that I see it. Then we have this dream, and, and that and that this vision, I guess you could say, and Solomon is asking for wisdom, he's granted wisdom, and then things change. Once Solomon puts his eyes upon God, and, and once he looks towards being wise in the eyes of God, then we see chapter four. So what does wisdom look like? Well, what stands out to me is we have by name, by position, think people chosen to do 
um, the right things. Like we have positions, we have organization. We know how many people were doing this, how many people were doing that. We see that there are 12,000 horsemen. There are 40,000 horse stalls. Like he's got a large military to protect himself. He's got all these things lined up and it's recorded. So that means that they, he didn't just have these things. He has these things. It's, re, it's recorded. It's organized. So we see what wisdom looks like as soon as, as soon as Solomon asks for it. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, that's what I see is, is when I see the results of him, of, of wisdom mm-hmm. is that he is, he becomes organized. He puts the right people in the right places and, and he's, yeah, he, he's, he's got the things that he needs because he's, he's become wise. That's what, that's what I see. Yeah. I think, I think for me, I think sometimes I can read the story of Solomon and think that like Solomon had a superpower and it was wisdom, right? Like, like he was like, you know, Iron Man when it comes to wisdom or whatever it is, you know, I love you 3000 or whatever. And, um, and so, but I think that with that sometimes can just stop me from even trying to obtain wisdom or even try to figure out what that's looked like. Like that's more of, okay, that's the unattainable. That's what it looks like when you have superpower wisdom, me, I'm not really going to be able to walk in that. And I think that that is a huge lie because I think that wisdom, he even writes about it in Proverbs, that wisdom calls out from the streets. Like wisdom is something that is, is, is at hand, that is close by, that is near, that God's wisdom, like uh, James 1 says that if we lack wisdom, all we need to do at, is ask God and he will generously give. Uh, Jesus talks about wisdom in Matthew 7 when he says that, uh, a wise builder is one that hears uh, the words, hears these words and lives by them and responds by them. And so I think that uh, for me, looking at all of these things and seeing how God can work in uh, in Solomon's life through the wisdom that he's given him and through a way of judging right and correctly means that I think that there is an opportunity for us to allow wisdom to not only change us, but also impact greatly people around us. I think that wisdom has a unique uh, character trait that it will, it's almost infectious. And it's Mm -hmm. something that you see people wanting more of, you know, and um, like people from all over wanted to sit at Solomon's feet, wanted to learn uh, from his wisdom. And I think that it is something though, that is attainable for us it's not something that is the superpower that you're born with because or that you had radioactive wisdom ooze fall on you and then now you become this like ultimately wise person that like wisdom as i think more of a choice it's a it's an opportunity for us to choose to not only listen to it but not but but listening only takes us so far because both the wise and the foolish builder in matthew 7 both heard the word but yes. the wise builder actually applied it to our life. That's the key, I think, Daniel, is 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 defining wisdom. Because mm-hmm. as you were going, you talked a lot about like that it's attainable. And we and sometimes I think we speak around what wisdom actually is. And to be honest, the Bible speaks around it a bit too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you read it's frustrating sometimes when you read Proverbs, because it's like it talks about how how great wisdom it is and how much we should want wisdom and how, you know, it has all these weird things describing the goodness of it, but like, well, what is it? Right. And, and, and what you just said is when you mentioned application, I think, and maybe this isn't the best definition, but I think wisdom is when you take 
knowledge. Wisdom is not knowledge, but wisdom is when you take knowledge with the Holy Spirit and you combine it to application. So you take the things you know, you let God work with the things that he's he's given you and like the knowledge that he's given you, right? You take those things and you combine them and then you go and do things with it because to know things and not act on it is folly. Mm -hmm. So you can be the smartest person in the world and be foolish. Mm. So I think you have to combine God with, with knowledge into application. And I think that's what wisdom is. Now that's the, uh, the two cent Michael Miller version. Well, I mean, what, what do you think, Daniel? I agree with you. And I think for me, I've, uh, as I've tried to learn more and more about uh, wisdom, but not only like what it looks like to apply it. Uh, I like to, I like to kind of center around that Matthew seven, like, and I think it more of hearing from God and responding and in that process of hearing from God and allowing his voice to marinate and meditate like mm-hmm. uh like david will talk about like a um even in psalms chapter one about is it a, a righteous man or a wise man will meditate on the, the lord's law day and night and he'll be like a tree that's planted um and bears fruit in every season mm-hmm. and and i think that that's um for me it's not just hearing the words so because we hear wisdom always wisdom is calling out to us constantly um but and so one, I mean, who's, who's, what's the voice? What's the voice that's speaking yeah. into your life right now? Is it, is it the voice of wisdom or is it the voice of folly? Cause folly also has a voice, you know? And so, um, so not only hearing the word, but then allowing it to kind of marinate and meditate in, in it. Like, and I think what's really great about this. And I try to encourage this in my own life is as you, I think of like a step process for me. So God speaks. So recognizing that God's voice is speaking, observe what he's saying, reflect on it, but then discuss it. So like have other people that you talk with about it. That's why you hear that Solomon had advisors. He had people that he consulted with. We need people in our life that will, we can bounce these thoughts, like what God is speaking to us. And then as we start to kind of come back around uh, is, is to begin to kind of put a plan into action where you begin to actually apply the voice of reason or the wisdom that's being said to you and then give yourself ability to be accountable because it's really easy to have an inspirational um inspirational like uh word from the lord or him speak to you but then and then try to put a plan into action but it's like a workout it's like it's like when you have a new year's resolution and you don't have anybody to kind of keep you accountable to it and then what's really cool is that I think of it as a timeline, right? So the Lord, he'll speak to you in a moment. And then all of a sudden, like you'll go through that process of learning about it. And I've called it the learning circle before. And then that might shift the way you live your life. And that gap between the new trajectory for your life to where you were is wisdom. Is wisdom because you are now living differently because you have heard the wisdom of the Lord. You've heard the wisdom of life. You've heard the wisdom from people that you know and trust and you've applied it to your life. And now you live differently. And that gap between where you did live to where you are now, I think is really where you see. So everybody write that down. The the, the gap from where you are or the gap from where you were to where you are is wisdom. Put that in quotes, Pastor Daniel. And hang that on your wall with the picture of him. That's good. My wall needs something. So yeah, that might be nice. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
Pastor Phil, he also shared that wisdom is a partnership. God's message, it's God's message to you and us applying it through obedience and application. Yep. Yeah, you're right. That, that, that kind of combines what Daniel and I were both were saying. And one thing I, I want to back up to, because I don't want people to hear me the wrong way. When I said that wisdom is not knowledge, remember, I, I mentioned how wisdom is, is like knowledge and the Holy Spirit and application kind of all combined. I, I do think it is wise to learn. I do think knowledge is a part of wisdom, but knowledge itself isn't wisdom. So we do need to study the Bible. We, we do need to, 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 you know, to study. We need to read. We need to learn. Because um, here in the scripture, we see that when it says in, in verse uh, 29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, then it begins to explain you know, some of this wisdom. He talks about how he wrote and how he advised and the things he does. But it also talks at the end in like verse 33, some of the things that he knows. So as as the scripture is defining, uh, not defining, but giving examples for wisdom, it does say that he spoke of trees. So like he knew about trees. He had some knowledge. Um, you know, he, he talked about birds and reptiles and fish. Um, and so he knew things and there's nothing wrong with knowing things. So don't hear me the wrong way. and think that Michael is saying that, you know, we don't need to know anything as long as we have wisdom. No, wisdom is when you take that knowledge and you combine it with application through the Holy Spirit, you know, and you, and you go do the right things. But well, if you go study in a corner and you do nothing with it, again, that's foolish. I mean, it's Romans 1 basically says that God has made himself evident to humanity through uh, creation. Mm -hmm. So to observe, I think like science started out as a Christian thing because they wanted to observe more and more about creation. They wanted to observe more and more about what God had That's done. That's true. So, like in the pagan world, science didn't exist because everything was explained by the gods are just angry at you. And so you just got to do something about it. There was no there was no process of exploring more and more about what God has done and putting and how he has stamped his character and his nature on things. And so I think that's it's beautiful for us to to want to pursue knowledge, knowing that God is willing to give it to it. And God has made like like we have uh, we have been trying to as a family perceive beauty more. And see how God has created things to be beautiful because he wants to place his character and show his character uh, to us and reveal it to us. And so I think that's great. Like, I think that's, I love that you said that because the fact that Solomon knew all these things about creation, knew all these things about how the plants worked, how animals live. You see how he actually applied a lot of that when it came to practical wisdom in his Proverbs. Like he uses, hey, like lazy person, look at the ant and look at how they work and look at how exactly. they, they toil. Like, and he knew that because he was able to see how God had placed wisdom all around us in his creation, because if God, hey, he's, he's thrown his character everywhere. And so it is really, it's, it's, it's great for us to stop and to observe and to see that and then allow that to speak to us and allow that to like minister to us. And, and so I think that I know we, we got a little bit, I've got to leave here in about 10 minutes. Um, but I think uh, it'd be great for us to start to go into like, like some practical thoughts of application. Like, so what are some small baby steps that we can do to follow Solomon's footsteps? And Michael, I'll go first because I'm kind of asking the question and I'll give you a chance <laughs> to respond. Fair, fair enough. Um, I think that kind of following what James says that 
if there's an area that we don't know or have understanding in, I think the first thing to do is ask. And I'm going to go full circle with what Ronnie Piercy said. And he said that humility is key. Yeah. And that I think that if we allow ourselves to be humble, if we recognize that humility is key, then we will ask. A lot of times we don't ask because we struggle with humility. We struggle with pride. We, we don't want to admit that this is an area that we lack knowledge in. And so I think that if we are struggling with wisdom in our life, first thing to do is to, is, is in humility, ask God and allow him to speak to us in that. But then don't let it just stop here, like, or, or go, like, just go into our ear and that's it. Let it, uh, let us, let us marinate on it and let us think about what it would look like to actually apply it to our lives. I think on my side, Daniel pretty much took my thoughts, but uh, to, but that's okay. I mean, but to echo it, um, and, and, and I, when I, when I do this, I'm, I have all these fingers pointing back at me, you know? So, so I, I really mean we, when I say these things, I think that when, when we, when we read, when we study, when we learn things, we have to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also mm. echoing James, um, Sometimes we we do get in our corners and we read and we study and we know cool things, um, but we need to get out there and act on it. Mm. And so, so I think part of doing that is to not be afraid. I think often for me, sometimes I don't do the things I need to do because I'm afraid of failure. Mm. I'm afraid of what people will think, right? Like even if I succeed, will, will they think that I did it for the wrong reasons? Will they agree with what I did? You know, and the thing is, we learn from our mistakes. Most of the time, we learn more from messing up than we do from being successful. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, an application thing is for us to to do stuff, you know, to not be afraid of failure. Because I, I really think, especially when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he, he's, he's looking at our hearts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's not... It's not about like these pharisaicals, pharisaical like yes and no and and all these rules. Like that's not what God's about. God wants to know your intentions, mm -hmm. and and if you're trying to follow Him and you're taking the knowledge and the gifts that He's given you, and you're trying to do the things to please Him, He knows that, and and you might make a mistake. But do you think that God is going to like just be super duper mad at you because you're trying to please Him and you mm -hmm. make a mistake? Mm -hmm. So I think with application is don't fear um, doing things because application is part of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Don't fear doing doing things. Make the best prayerful decisions that you can and go feel yeah. feel free to go do good stuff. Mm. And another thing that I was thinking about, too, is that um, is not only um, not only asking for wisdom, but I think a, a unique part of wisdom and not only humility is one end of it, but trust is another end. Yeah. Like, like trust that what, what God is speaking to you is for you. It's not, it's not something that he wants to give you this wisdom so that he can laugh at you as you fall. Like he wants this for, um, for you to receive what he has for you. And so I think that James gives us kind of a, a, uh, 
uh, when you do, when you're asking for wisdom, you know, trust him, trust him in the process. Don't be divided in, in your loyalty or in your mind, not like a double-mindedness, you know, but instead trust that he's going to give you what exactly what you need. And even um, Solomon will echo that in, you know, Proverbs three, which is such a famous scripture with trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will show you the path to take. And so I think when we ask, not only do we ask in, in that opportunity to humility, but we ask uh, trusting that what he says is for our benefit and it's best yeah. for us. I agree. Mm. So the, the last, the last thing I'll throw in there is kind of lighthearted. Um, as this chapter ends with all these things that um, that Solomon knows, I, one thing I like is that he spoke about all these things that he knew. Mm-hmm. We don't we're, we're not really told this, but I just imagine like Jesus that Solomon probably spoke a lot of parables because we see that happening a bit, you know, as we read some of his wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. So. I think another sign of wisdom that can be fun is, you know, to talk about what the reptiles and talk about the birds and the fish and all the, all the craziness guys, take what, take what, you know, and find Jesus in it. Mm-hmm. And when you're, you don't have to just straight up go tell someone like, Hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and savior? You're like maybe you could talk about the things that you know and use wisdom to incorporate Jesus into your conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's another part of what wisdom is, is 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 being able to apply the things to you know that that you know into a godly conversation. Amen, man. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close this out in prayer, and then we'll we'll be done for the day. So, uh, Jesus, thank you so much that you have given us access to God. That because of your sacrifice, we now can boldly come before the throne and we can submit our requests that we can ask for wisdom, God, and you can generously give us wisdom. Um, You won't hold back. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we don't see wisdom as unattainable, that it's not some superpower that Solomon had, but Lord, it's something that is within reach. And so... Uh, Father, I pray that you would grow wisdom in all of us, that you would grow it in our listeners, that you would grow it in the church, Um, God, that you would uh, begin to um, speak through us by how we live our lives in wise ways, that that wisdom is not just hearing your words, God, but it's putting application and bringing it into a tangible way into our life. Um, And Father, I think now more than ever, uh, the world is craving wisdom because there's so much uh, where we see evil and folly and so much things that are going on around us, God, that we get a wonderful opportunity to hopefully uh, speak wisdom into that, not so that we can bring condemnation, but anything so that we can draw people to you, God, because you are the one that provides all of this for us. And so, Lord, help us to remain humble in all that we do. Uh, help us to seek your words. And Lord, may we uh, live lives that would uh, reflect the the wisdom that you have, God, and uh, may it look more and more like Christ. Uh, we ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we're so glad that you were a part of, uh, we were missing some key pieces, but you know what? I think we tried to put something together here. So I think it worked out okay. Uh, and, and, and we have to know that we want to challenge you to go out into your communities, into your family, to the places that, that you live and love and be the love and be the light to the world. We love you and we thank you. 
Was that, was that close, Daniel? That was great, man. Bye, guys. <laughs> hey, have a blessed day. <laughs> All right. Yeah.